Okay, let's try that again. What's going on, everyone? How are we? Hey, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Vikings fans, that you did not get Jim Harbaugh. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. Hey, uh, welcome back to Next High School. If we have never met before, my name is Matt Velasco. Shh. Such a privilege to be with you tonight. Hey, if this is your first time, I'm so glad that you are here. You'll notice that we say something a lot around these parts. We say that we believe that Wednesday night is the best night of the week, and we don't believe that Wednesday night's the best night of the week because of the free food. Unless you stop picking up your trash, then you won't get free food anymore. But uh, or start. Don't start picking up. You understand what I'm saying. Not because of the free food. It's not because of the friends. It's not because of the singing or whatever it might be. But it's because God meets us on Wednesday nights here in special ways. See, we believe that God has a way of showing up in special ways on Wednesday nights. And that is why it is the best night of the week, no matter what youth ministry you are at. And so thank you for being here. Would love to meet you before you leave if you are new. We're going to be starting a new series called Lost to Love um, this, this, this evening, I almost said this morning, where we're talking about what it means to go from being lost apart from Jesus to experiencing love with Jesus. And, and it made me start thinking about where in Scripture we see this most clearly, and I believe that Mark chapter 5 is one of the places where we see this so clearly, and so would you turn there? With us, Mark chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the second book of the New Testament. And while you're turning there, <clears throat> I want to point this out. In 1942, during the Second World War, a guy by the name of Clive Staples Lewis, also known as C.S. Lewis, published his famous book titled The Screwtape Letters. The book is what's called an inverted allegory. Shh. It's called an inverted allegory. <clears throat> what that means is that it's a story that has a hidden meaning. But the meaning of the screw tape letters is not moral, like a normal allegory would be, but rather it is eerie and concerning. The screw tape letters is a group of letters by screw tape who is a high-ranking demon, to Wormwood, who is a lower-ranking demon, about how to cunningly lead someone to hell. When the book first came to America, it was a huge success. It swept through our country and received raving reviews. In fact, it was even turned into a movie and a play. But it also opened up people's eyes to a reality they often hadn't thought of. One review within the Chicago Tribune said this, the main takeaway, remember the devil really exists. In the passage we're going to read tonight in Mark chapter 5, we are reminded that the devil and his minions are very much alive, but so is Jesus. My goal tonight is to reveal to you Satan's purpose and then to demonstrate Jesus' power over evil forces and his ability to heal the harm which they have done. All through, the study, all through studying the story of the first missionary to ever be commissioned by Jesus. So Mark chapter 5, starting verse 1, we're going to read all the way to verse 20. It says this. 
They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran down and fell before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he, being Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you are not a God who is silent, but you are a God who is very, very loud. Because everything that we just read is straight from your mouth. So Lord, be with us tonight. Help us to learn who you are and fall deeper in love with you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Before we dive into this scripture, I want to highlight a few things and hopefully simplify some of them for you along the way. And in order to do so, I'm, I'm literally just going to summarize what we read and point out a couple of things within those 20 verses. And so the first thing it says is it says that this takes place in the country of the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes in ancient Israel was a region of the Roman Decapolis which were 10 ruling Roman cities in what we would call the Middle East, what they called the East. This is important because it tells us something about the people that Jesus was with. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles. It says a man with an unclean spirit who lived in the tombs ran to Jesus once he got ashore, and he was possessed by a group of demons named Legion. There's a couple of things to note from this, but what is most important is that name, legion. A Roman legion, again, a Roman territory, when full, was 6,200 men. That means that this might mean that this man was possessed by 6,200 demons. 
In fact, we know it was more than one because when he said what his name was, he said, my name is Legion for we are many. This man who was possessed by Legion ran to Jesus, begging him for mercy right as he came ashore. In verse 7 it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran down and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. These demons understood who Jesus was and what it would mean for them. So they begged him to get it over with. And Jesus did. The first thing he did when he arrived in the country of the Gerasenes was cast the demons out of this man. Next it says that the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Some of you might relate to this guy. He was considered dead by the village that he lived in, and so they sent him to live with dead people in the tombs. When they saw him in his right mind, they were astonished. Maybe you have friends who have considered you as good as dead because of mistakes you have made in the past. Or maybe your, your family thought there was no helping you because of something that has happened in your life. Or maybe you've chosen to live in the metaphorical tombs yourself, considering yourself as good as dead. When Jesus gives you new life, the people that counted you as good as dead, including yourself, are often astonished. It says that Jesus was getting into the boat, and and when that happened, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him and be one of his disciples. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the ten ruling cities of the east how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And thus the first missionary was sent and his impact was incredible. Tonight I'm going to walk you through a fairly simple message. This is one of my favorite portions of scripture, if not my absolute favorite. And it's one of those stories where you can just keep on digging and you'll find more and more gold. But because of that, I don't want to get too much into the weeds so even though I, uh, we could nerd out over this passage for a really, really long time, um, we're going to keep it simple. So I'm going to give you three lessons that you need to take away from the story of a man who was living in a tomb with a legion of demons inside of him who met the Son of God and was radically healed and sent on mission. Because what I want you to know is that you are just like him. I'm going to say that one more time. You are just like him. No, you don't live in a tomb, and no, you aren't possessed by a thousand demons, but you have or could meet the Son of God just like he did. You have or could receive his healing salvation. You have or could be sent on mission to tell as many people you know about it. So let's talk about those three lessons you need to learn from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. The first one, the devil is real. The second one, Jesus is stronger. 
And the third one, tell your story. Lesson number one, the devil is real. Mark has given us an elaborate and frank picture of the demonic. This story is heart-wrenching when you think about it. Because we are talking about a real person who actually existed on the same earth that you do. He was demonized. We translate that word in English to demon-possessed. But the literal translation is demonized means being under the influence of one or more evil spirits. And it can mean a number of things, but to its most extreme, it's what we read in verses 2 through 5. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The demonized man lived in the tombs. Rocked, carved caverns furnished with dead men's bones, filth, and vermin. The local townspeople had attempted to restrain him, but with terrifying strength he had broken the bonds they placed on him again and again. He seemed to be uncontrollable and dangerous. He'd howl during the night and day, and then he would gash himself with jagged rocks. Scholars say this man likely did this in order to try and get the evil spirits out himself. Another scholar said this, this poor naked man was a mass of bleeding lacerations, scabs, infections, and scar tissue living in a delirium of pain. Why would these demons attack this seemingly innocent man? Because Satan and his minions hate God and will do anything to attack him. Humans are made in the image of God. You have heard me say this before. It is referred to as Imago Dei, that you and I are Imago Dei, made in God's image. So attacking us means to them that they are attacking God. Werner Forrester, a theologian and scholar, says this, in most of the stories of possession, what is at issue is not merely sickness, but a destruction and distortion of the divine likeness of man according to creation. The point is this, the devil is very real. He is very active and he is very passionate about stopping us from being Imago Dei. He will do anything in his power to ruin God's image, which he has created in us. But Jesus is stronger. Lesson one, the devil is very real. Lesson two, Jesus is stronger. This demonized man was strong. He appeared to have some special uh, strength due to the legion within him, and the legion within him appeared to have some special strength because of their sheer size. In fact, the whole entire village could not stop this man. Their chains did nothing, their tomb did nothing, but one day a man showed up who was stronger. And his name was Jesus. Now what did Jesus say to defeat the legion? We don't actually know. 
All we know is this. It says in verses 11 through 13, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. All he did was give them permission. We don't know if he said something. We don't know if he motioned with his body. I like to think that Jesus giving them permission was just him shrugging their shoulders like, fine, get it over with. He just willed that they would leave the man, and they did. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, and they drowned Naturally, the owners of the pigs fled and told the city what had happened, and people began to flood out of the city walls to see Jesus and the demon-possessed man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. The demon-possessed man would have been naked, and so it makes sense that one of Jesus' disciples probably would have given him a spare change of clothes. This man was just sitting there. He wasn't roaming about aimlessly amongst the tombs as he was before. In fact, Luke says in his account of this story that this man was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed for the first time in a very long time, and most importantly, his mind was sound. He had self-control. He was smiling at the right times, and he was alert, laughing, and in awe of who Jesus was. What a testimony to the power and strength of Jesus Christ. He completely defeated the evil that was legion. A legion of demons stood off against Jesus, and with simple permission, he sent the demons to their doom. Now, not only does this show us Jesus' strength and power, also shows us his healing power. He restored a demonized man to a rational, controlled, peaceful, and by all accounts, saved man. Friends, Jesus is stronger. He is stronger than your addiction to pornography, your mental illness, your depression, your anxiety, your OCD, your fear. Stronger than your drug habit, stronger than your broken heart, stronger than your confusion, stronger than your doubts. He is stronger than fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you think you are bound to for the rest of your life, whatever that thing is that when you hear me say it or you think about it, you get a stabbing wound in your heart of shame and regret. You are not beyond help. Because Jesus, who calmed the stormy seas, also calms the storm-tossed soul. And like he did with the demonized man, he can do it for you with just simple permission. Lesson number one, the devil is very real. Lesson number two, Jesus is stronger. And lesson number three, tell your story. I said at the beginning that we would be talking about the first missionary ever commissioned by Jesus. If you haven't caught on by now, it was this man. Up until this point, whenever Jesus would heal somebody and they would be radically transformed, he would tell them to tell no one. He'd say, tell no one what I have done for you, for it is not my time. 
Instead, to this man, he says the opposite. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And what does this man do? He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The man's response to the reality of the devil's war against his soul and Jesus' victory was to first ask Jesus, let me come with you. And then when he instead was told to go and tell all of the Roman world in the east of how much the Lord has done for him and how much the Lord has had mercy on him, he obeyed and he went. I'm going to be blunt. Chances are you've disobeyed Jesus. His command here is the exact same command to us in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Chances are we have failed. Chances are you have failed to do this. And yet we have the greatest advantage this world has ever seen the Holy Spirit within us. He wasn't within the dude who Jesus just cast legion out of. And yet he went and everyone marveled at his testimony. See, scholars have actually uncovered and believed that Paul's success in the Gentile world would not have come as quickly if it weren't for the missionary groundwork of this man. When Paul entered the Decapolis to plant churches, he would discover that there were already people there who had heard of this man named Jesus who healed a man from the Gerasenes. Just a couple chapters later, when Jesus comes back, 4,000 people meet him because they know who he, he is because of this man. If I went into your school, and pe- would people know who you were because of how Jesus radically healed you? Would they know you were a Christian at all? Do they know the story of how you met God? Would they be able to tell me about the tomb you lived in and the chains that bound you? Or have you failed to share all that Jesus has done for you and how he has had mercy on you? But Matt, all my friends are Christians. Do you think that's a good excuse? Because it's not. The devil is very much real, but the Lord is stronger than he will ever be and has ever been. He is fighting a losing battle, and he knows it. Even now, he hears those words, and his anger rises up. You are on the winning team if you know who Jesus is. Every time you sit down and say to someone, let me tell you how much the Lord has done for me and how he has had mercy on me, you remind the devil of how badly he has lost this war. Every time you share your story and someone comes to faith, you once again see Jesus snatch someone out of their tombs and chains. Yet another victory won. So go and be like the man who was released from his chains and brought out of the tomb and given a healed and restored heart and mind. Tell your story. Maybe tonight you're in a tomb bound by chains and you want to be set free once and for all. You see this Jesus, and you also, just like this man, are crying out, Have mercy on me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Tonight can be the night when you receive that mercy. 
See, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Not to me, but to Jesus. Because, friends, God made you to know him. Our sin separates us from him, and we can't go back to God on our own. And so Jesus paid the debt of our sin when he died and rose again. And through trusting in him alone, you can receive life like that man did. Life that you were intended to live now and forever. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For at the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. First we confess Jesus is who he says he is. We confess that Jesus is God. And we believe in our heart that God really raised him from the dead. So I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your heads, close your eyes, if I can have the lights turned back on, actually. If tonight the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has made sense to you for the first time, if you do not know Jesus, you can tonight by simply confessing Jesus as Lord. If you're thinking, Jesus, have mercy on me, tonight can be the night when you receive that mercy. I'm about to pray a prayer, and I would just say, if that is you, pray that prayer along with me in your heart and in your mind. Every head bow, every eye closed. If you want to receive Jesus' mercy tonight, repeat after me in your head and in your heart. Dear God, I know that I mess up. I fall short of your perfect standard. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he paid the price for my sin. I believe Jesus rode up from the dead, and I trust in Jesus alone to forgive me for all of my sins and give me life, fullness of life. I'm going to say that one more time. Maybe I just finished, and you're like, man, I wish I would have prayed that. That's me. I, I want to receive Jesus' mercy for the first time. You have that tug on your heart, the chills in your spine. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I know that I mess up. I fall short of your perfect standard. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he paid the price for my sin. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I trust in Jesus alone to forgive me for all of my sins and give me life, fullness of life. Amen. I want you all to keep your heads bowed, keep your eyes closed. And if you prayed that prayer, 
if you put your faith in Jesus tonight, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to look up at me and make eye contact. Just quick, just once you make eye contact with me, you can put your eyes right back down. No one else is looking around. And I want you to know that looking up at me does not save you. Saying that prayer actually doesn't save you. But Jesus Christ alone and your faith in him is what saves you. But I want to know who you are. Because I want to pray for you. And so with no one looking around, if you just say, said that prayer, on the count of three, would you just look up at me? Just make eye contact with me and then you can put your eyes right back down. So one, remember, looking up does not save you. Two, placing your faith and trust in Jesus is what saves you. And three, just look up at me and make eye contact. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. tonight you receive new life in Jesus you received his mercy after you just look up at me amen praise God yeah one more chance if you want to receive new life if you prayed that prayer yeah Jesus we love you God, thank you for new life, new life in you, Jesus. 10, 11, 12, I didn't count however many there were, Jesus. New life in you, we celebrate that. We said two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I don't remember that there's a party in heaven when people give their life to you. And so, Jesus, we know and I hope that whoever it is that just trusted in your mercy and in your grace and your death and your resurrection, your life and in your peace and in all of who you are for the first time, whoever that is, would they know that you are looking down at them and all of heaven knows and they are celebrating the fact that new life has been given tonight. Jesus, new life in your name, just like that demon-possessed man came out of his tomb, so also do they tonight. God, you give us new clothes, you give us a new mind, you give us a new heart. We are no longer dead, but we are alive in you. Thank you, Jesus.